there's a new song we want to spring on y'all tonight. Take it home where you spread it around. If you don't like who's in there, vote them out. That's what election day is all about. And the biggest gun we got is called the ballot box. If you don't like who's in there, vote them out. Vote them out. Later on, uh, after Polk's practicing law, and I think I was too, it's in the late 20s or the early 30s, well, there was a fellow named Wurzbach, a Republican from Orwich Seguin, had been elected to Congress from that district. The congressional district then included Bear County and then uh, over Seguin. And uh, the Republicans, uh, San Antonio had a lot of Republicans, the Germans and a lot of other people were Republicans, and Wurzbach was a German and he'd been elected. And so the machine down in San Antonio, they decided, and they had a machine, they decided they were going to beat Wurzbach and put a Democrat in. Democrat in. There was a fellow named McCloskey who was county judge in Travis County, I mean, Bear County at that time. And so they run Mr. McCloskey for Congress against uh, uh, Wurzbach. And uh, uh, here's the way McCloskey won the race. The, uh, in the old days, and up until just uh, a few years ago, uh, they used to have what they call the over and under voting privilege. You had to have poll tax, and anyone, the first year you become 21, you got a free voting privilege. That was the underage st- st- uh, voting s- uh, privilege. And then when you got to be 60, or maybe 65, whichever one, then you got what you called a permanent exemption certificate. You never did have to come back and buy a poll tax anymore, and you'd get one certificate, and you could use it the rest of your life without having to come back and each year and get a new one. Well, the politicians saw the uh, possibilities of a situation like this, and of course, in San Antonio, there's probably oh, uh, three or 4,000 old men, and there's, of course, only men voted in those days, that were over 60, 65, and they got these permanent exemption certificates. Well, it so happened that the machine never did let any Mexican die. They had one of those. If he did, they'd just keep his voting certificate, uh, exemption certificate, and they kept them in a safe there. The machine owned them. They had around 10,000 votes. If they, could, they had that much on anybody when the, when the race started because they would do this on election day. They would pick up 100 to 200 uh, old Mexican men, and they'd let them vote five or six times all over the county, with these uh, exemption certificates that they they had saved up in the safe and had hand them out, let them go vote, and so uh, that went on for years and years. And I'll get, get in that a little further. Well, McCloskey got the benefit of this, and of course, word back knew about it, and being a federal election, he was able to bring another, a little federal uh, uh, influence to bear, and they got McCloskey indicted for stealing this election, and they transferred the case up to Travis County for prosecution, and my brother Polk was hired to help defend him, and. And uh, I don't know the outcome of it, but we got acquainted with some of the ways that the machine in San Antonio kept in power. And that was one of the ways. Now, uh, go a little further about while I'm on this. Let me just branch out because this covers a lot of time and a lot of territory and a lot of names. That I'm, and I'm not going to try to get them in, in sequence. I'm not going to try to get them in chronological order. But uh, when John Garner was, was the congressman from Texas, uh, uh, his district ran all the way from U Valley, just a long, narrow strip of counties all the way down to Brownsville. Judge, uh, I mean, R.B. Crager down in Brownsville was the big Republican. He was a national com- committeeman for the Republican Party for years. He ran the Republican Party in Texas. And so in order to keep out of this San Antonio situation, evidently Mr. Garner, while he was in the legislature of Texas, had a, ger- a gerrymandered district set up for him to run for Congress from U Valley all the way down to to Brownsville, and then all he had to talk to was, was uh, Senator Archie Parr, who I think Duval County was in 
in uh, Gardner's district. Well, anyway, you go back and find out. But he'd run all the way from New Valley to Brownville, and Crager was his friend. And so between Crager uh, running the Republican Party and Mr. Gardner running the Democratic Party, the federal fund and such federal patronage was pretty well divided among the people in that uh, congressional district. Now, the reason that Mr. Garner, of course, wanted to stay out of San Antonio was that there's, there's too many mouths to feed in, in the San Antonio district. So his, his congressional district left that alone. Now, there was for years and years it was understood that Crager, he got all the benefits that went across the International Bridge. Democrats or, or Republicans, it made no difference. Crager was a was the man you had to talk to uh, about business on the International Bridge down there. Well, now then, there's a, the first time I learned about Mr. about Senator Archie Parr. Now, Senator Archie Parr was the father of George, and uh, I did remember seeing the old man when he was senator from, they called it the Duchy of Parr. Now, I don't know how many counties were encompassed in Senator Parr's district down there, but, of course, Duval was where he lived, and I expect uh, most of the lower Rio Grande Valley was in uh, Senator Archie Parr's district at that time. But I remember very well him sitting in the uh, Austin Hotel lobby when I was a, uh, a young man and talking to the other legislators during the, when the legislature was in session. And there's one story that, judge, that uh, Senator Archie Parr, they tell about him. They knew that he always won. And, uh, uh, of course, he just had the votes in his hat. They, they had, I'll tell you a little further on how they did it, but... Uh, there was a Mr. Graves, who was in the, from Williamson County in the legislature and later was a member of the Board of Pardon, appointed by Governor Dan Moody. Graves and Senator Poor and one or two other men were, were sitting in the lobby there discussing how they won their elections, how the boys always tried to get on the one inside. And most politicians are the same way. They might double-cross a friend the last night before the election if they know he's going to lose because they just can't afford to be on the losing side if they can help it. And so uh, Graves and these other boys were talking about what happened to, the, the king bees, uh, the king makers in each of these little towns or di- little districts, said they said they would get together on the um, Friday night before the election and, and weed out um, the possibilities, and, and then they'd throw their strength to the one they knew was going to win so that they could all be on the one inside. And they noticed that Senator Archie Parr hadn't given any uh, advice or t- told, told about his experiences. So finally they asked him, said, Senator, you've had a lot more success than any of us in this matter. You've been ruling your roost down there for years. Now, um, how do you go about picking the winner? Well, he said, boys, all of y'all are wrong. He said, uh, down in Duval County, we always wait till Monday morning after the election, and then we don't have a chance to lose. Then we pick pick our candidate. And they actually did that. They, lots of times, they, on these state races, they never never count the ballots at all. They just uh, work on the tally sheets. Now, I've been an election judge a number of times in the early, middle 20s and the early 20s, and ever since I was 21 years old in South Austin. And uh, actually, you can take the, the tally sheet and um, uh, the finals and just put a, any, any number you want to on there, and you can't get into the ballot box to see whether you're wrong without they have an election contest. And so that's the way they work those things down there. And so then George come along, and George was... Uh, now, Senator Paul was a, seemed... He was, he was nice to people, and he, he made friends with them and did a little trade. But George was just... Uh, he was raised up as the crown prince, and he was, he was mean. He wasn't as, as nice to people, and that's the reason he's got himself into trouble. Now, you go, uh, the, uh, the lower Rio Grande Valley uh, has got several counties in it. And I know A.Y. Baker used to be sheriff of Edinburgh. I've heard about him. I never met Mr. Baker, but I've met many of his close friends and represented some of them in court. And one of them was Harry Ridgway, who was head of the Donna Irrigation District, and he got indicted down there for political purposes, and I'll go into his case a little later. But I knew Harry Ridgway, and he told me some stories about A.Y. Baker. Now, uh, Mr. O. Norwood was the man who handled all the financial affairs for this whole group in the valley. 
He was a bond man, and he's the man that built the Norwood building, which is now the Capitol National Bank building. I knew him very personally. His office for years was on the 14th floor of the Capitol National Bank building. Mine was, too. And uh, we represented him, and he's just a very fine man. But Mr. Norwood, was he was um, he was in. He could call any one of those people at any time, and unless they were obligated one way or the other, they'd go along with him on state politics and national politics. So A.Y. Baker was this kind of a man. He owned a bank there in Edinburgh, and uh, all of the little political subdivisions had to keep their trust funds in, their, uh, in his bank. I know Harry Ridgway was telling me that he was on the school board in Donna at one time, and they had their money in Mr. Baker's bank, of course. And uh, Baker was just, uh, he, he wasn't a banker, in, in effect. He, he just, uh, he was a money handler. And he didn't know anything about the books because he knew that uh, on, on one sheet it'd be red and other sheet green. When you had a red sheet in the back, you was in a hole. And, and if you had a green sheet, you had some money. And so the time come to open up the school for Donna one year when Mr. Baker was still alive. And uh, uh, Mr. Baker called uh, the school board from Donna in there. And he told him, he said, now, boys, we've, I've spent that money, and you just don't have any money to open your school on. But he said, now, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put a green sheet over on your side, but mind you, you can't spend a damn nickel of it. And uh, what Baker would do, uh, he would take money out of <clears throat> the, any of his friends' accounts and, uh, and use it like he wanted to. And, and he'd keep his books in such a way that, that they'd never know it. There was a man that was mayor of Mercedes later on. He was indicted for income tax evasion. And Polk uh, represented him here in Austin for some reason. They had him up here, tried him in Austin. And they were gonna, the government was going to prove that this man made a whole lot more money than he reported by just showing that he went into his bank account in Mr. Baker's bank. And this man actually didn't know the amount of money that, that Baker would shift into his account from somebody else, the money he owned himself, and then take it out without the man ever knowing anything about it. And it was, uh, it just, you couldn't believe it. But uh, uh, that was what Baker would do. And this man got indicted for money that went through his bank account that he never knew anything about. And so that's the way Baker operated. And, but he was a king bee. Now, they would do this down there. That was when the valley was first starting. They were organizing these irrigation districts and organizing school districts and organizing all kinds of municipal uh, districts. And uh, <clears throat> they would <clears throat> have an election call to, to have bonds. Well, they'd hide the, the notices in such a way and still comply with the law. They'd hide them behind doors. And nobody knew about it except those who were in on the machine. They all knew about the election. They'd all carry them. And these people coming down in the north, they call them snow diggers now, but... Uh, in those days, they were bring them down there and sell them this land, and, and they, they thought the government was being run like they were at home. They paid no attention to it till they found themselves bonded way beyond their ability to pay. And uh, there's another way they would do that. They would they would have a bond issue, say, to build a school or a courthouse, and, and uh, they'd wind up uh, finding that they, they lacked uh, $100,000, $200,000 to finish it. Well, under the law in those days, they could issue warrants. The commissioner's court could issue warrants to, uh, to uh, finish off the building. And he wants, of course, would draw about 8 or 10 percent of interest, and the bond themselves would only draw about 4 or 5. <clears throat> and then they could have an election, what they'd call refunding election. They would have an election for the people to, to issue bonds in place, of, in place of these warrants and reduce the interest rate on the warrants down to the 4.5 percent or 5.5 that the bonds had. And Mr. Norwood was telling me how, that was, how they're saving people money by doing that, which, in effect, they were. But... Uh, that was more or less the system they had down there. Now, on down into Cameron County, I don't know exactly who was the big boss, except that A.Y. Baker was down in that area as long as he lived. Harry Ridgway was in on the machine, and I represented Harry later, and I'll tell you some things he told me. Then, uh, going on up the Rio Grande River, you get into Starr County, and the Garibors were the ramrods up there. There was a Gus Garra, who was 
the ramrod of the family. He was sheriff, and we represented him in Austin at one, on one occasion when one of his deputies was shot. And they transferred the case up here for prosecution. We prosecuted the man, or helped prosecute the man who shot Gus's deputy. Now, little Henry Gary, Henry Jr., was in my law class and graduated the same year I did in law school. Well, he was county attorney at that time, and then Henry's daddy was a county judge. And then there was one of Henry's brothers named Joe Guerra, and he run the store over at either Rio Grande City or Roma. I believe uh, I, I met Joe going down to, I went down fishing at the Bigger Suka Lake one time with Red Bogus and, and, and Rubarth, and I called little Henry. I hadn't seen him in 20 or 30 years, but we were friends, and we'd bet each other politically, and, and we were on the same side when you. So I called little Henry and told him I was coming down in a pickup, and I wanted to go across the, the river and go down to Bigger Suka Lake, and in Mexico to fish a little bit, and I wasn't going to bring any counterband down there, but I'd have just a whole lot of junk, and they could hold me up on that bridge for two or three hours if they took a notion to do it. Well, Henry told me, he said, well, you come down and see my brother Joe over at the store, and I have another little brother over there, and he'll send him with you down at the bridge, and he'll take you on over into Mexico, and they'll let you on through without any problem, and then, then you, won't be, you won't waste any time. So sure enough, Red and I and Rubarth, we all got down to, to this uh, Joe store one day, and and uh, Joe put his younger brother on in the car with us. And away we went to the bridge. And when we got there on both sides of the bridge, they just waved at this little Garibor and away we went. And he went all the way out to the edge of the town on the Mexican side, got out and walked back. But he did us that favor. And I haven't seen Henry from that day to this. And I hadn't seen him for 20 years before. But we owed him a few favors and we did pay them back somewhere up the line. Now, going further up the Rio Grande, you come to the Potter County, and uh, I mentioned Judge Bravo. He was the county judge there and sort of the main cheese at the time that we had a, the election contest on Lyndon Johnson's election to uh, United States Senator. I'll get back to that later. But they had about a 1,000 votes in round numbers, and Star County had in round numbers around 3,000 votes if they could give you an award. And then you come on up to Webb County, and Webb County had, uh, in my mind, the, the smartest man in that whole group down there, and that was... Uh, that was M.J. Raymond, and uh, I, I tried a case with him once, and I've done, I've done him some favors, and he's done us some favors politically, and we'll get back to him later on. But now, uh, this is uh, some special instances the way these boys had worked. Now, as I was telling you a while ago about the time that Gus Guerra's deputy was shot, and they transferred the case from uh, Star County off up to Travis County in order to to um, get a fair trial because down there everybody was uh, had their mind made up one way or the other. It's either for the Gary boys or there's against them. So there wasn't any way to get a jury and they knew it. So this case was transferred up to Travis County and and uh, so Mr. Norwood called Polk and I in his office uh, uh, at that time and told us that, that the case was coming up here and Polk said, well, what do you want us to do? He said, well, we want you to help prosecute. Gus is our friend and, and we'd rather you to help prosecute and you let him hire some other lawyer to do the def defending. So uh, we took over the the prosecution of it. Now, and back in those days, I forget when it was, it was before the uh, Second World War, well, the Mexicans were not socially accepted here in Austin like they are now, and they, but they stayed in the uh, Austin Hotel, both groups did. And Gus, his sheriff, in the prosecuting side of this thing, he had the murder weapon and had uh, all the evidence in his room down at the hotel, and he was going to bring it to the district attorney and present it at the proper time. He was he was the one that ramrodding the case. And so, uh, the other Mexican boys is on the defense, and the defendant, they all roomed in the Austin Hotel, too, and they took a week or so for us to get this thing moving, getting the jury picked and everything, and the Mexican boys, being away from home, they uh, they just fought each other when they were down in Star County, 
or, uh, and they didn't have any uh, quibble with each other here, and they'd go out at night to these uh, restaurants, Mexican restaurants, and have a big time and get uh, polluted and have a, have a lot of fun to come in the hotel, and, and they'd drink in each other's rooms. And so we got into the trial of the case, and it so happened uh, the murder weapon was a pistol that Gus is supposed to have, and when we got ready to present it in evidence, it had disappeared. Well, what had happened, some of Gus's friends that were on the other side had just gotten it and stolen it and run off with it. So uh, we went ahead and tried the case, and when we got through with it, well, they turned the boy loose because we couldn't make a case out with uh, what uh, what we had to do with. Now, it, it, it didn't make Gus mad because they, they generally get those things even at home anyhow. He figured if they hadn't satisfied, he'd, uh, there'd be some more kidding down there. But right in the courtroom, I never will forget, it ended up one afternoon. And that was the year that Bill MacDonald was running for land commissioner, whatever year that was. And Pope and I were for Bill MacDonald. We wanted him to be elected. And so uh, that was before Bascom ran. That's the first time Bill ran. And so uh, uh, Gus, in the courtroom, asked Pope, said, how much do I owe you for helping me pro- helping prosecute this case? And Mr. Norwood had already told us that if there's any fees to be paid, he'd pay it himself, but that, uh, for Pope not to charge uh, uh, Gus anything. And so Polk told Gus, he said, no, said, we, we're not going to charge anything. He didn't say what Mr. Norwood said, but he just said, we're not going to charge you anything. You're our friends, and we're just helping you. And so Gus said, well, this is a, a state uh, election year. He said, uh, don't you have any friends that you'd like for me to help a little bit down there in, in Star County on, on some of these political races? And uh, so Polk just, uh, he didn't know what he was going to get out of it, but he just said, well, yeah, Mr. Garris said, I called him Gus. He said, um, my friend Bill McDonald is running for, for land commissioner, and if you can help him, well, well, I sure appreciate it. And uh, it so happened that uh, uh, MacDonald got somewhere in the neighborhood 3,000 votes down there, and his opponent, whoever it was at that time, got a very few, just enough to say that, uh, that he got his whistle wet. And so that's the way they operated down there. And then there was uh, the same year, I believe it was, yeah, that Polk, uh, uh, I believe George Parr had been indicted, uh, not sending any, any tax money to the state of Texas. Now, see, the comptroller was pulled together uh, stop in from all the counties, the money collected in, by the tax collector, the state state county, state county, uh, uh, taxes and the county taxes. Well, they'd never sent any. Duval County hadn't been sending any taxes for years to the comptroller at all, on land or anything else. So they didn't really have any record of how much they ought to uh, send or how much they might have been stealing down there. But I remember that uh, Jimmy Allred must have been, or, or no, Bill McCraw must have been the, the uh, attorney general because there's a boy, Letcher, Letcher King, from out at Abilene was assistant attorney general, and he had this case, a civil case against George Poor, and they'd sued him for several thousand dollars, but they couldn't prove that George owed it because they didn't have any any measure to go by. He had never paid any uh, that Duval County had, and so they didn't they couldn't prove anything. And Letcher was trying to get us to settle that case on some basis, just pay something so they'd get it off the get it off of the books. But of course George wasn't about to to give them any money, let them know that they'd collected any down there. So far as they was concerned, they just hadn't collected any. And I remember the Attorney General said, oh, Mr. Pope, Assistant Attorney General, down to, to go into the records at, at, in Duval County, go into the tax collector's office. And what they did, they just locked the office up and, and kept it closed for a week, wouldn't let him in, told him he'd gone fishing. And they got away with that sort of thing. Well, anyway, that year, uh, Pope took Bill McDonald with him. We'd been helping George a little. Pope figured George ought to help him. So he took Bill McDonald down to, to uh, see George, see if George wouldn't support him for land commissioner. And uh, Pope... Uh, and, and Bill got there just about just before noon in San Diego, and they went up to George's office, and it was just about time for lunch, so George said, let's go on down and have something to eat. So they walked downstairs and, and was walking down the street, and George was speaking to everybody, of course, he come to, and, 
And Bill McDonald said, Mr. Forrest said, don't you want to introduce me to some of these people down here? I'd like for to do a little election in with them. Georgia said, hell, it don't make no way you meet them, not you can get all the damn votes anyhow. And, of course, Bill got all the votes anyhow. Now there's another instance where it shows how these things operate and how that machine stays together. When uh, O'Daniels run for United States Senator the first time and Lennon run against him. Lennon, of course, lost. But O'Daniels was governor and Coke, Stephen was, Coke Stevenson was deputy, was, uh, was lieutenant governor. And the boys in the valley all liked Coke because, uh, of course, O'Daniels was just a misnomer in politics. Nobody, uh, no politician was for him to start with because they didn't figure that he had a chance to win until he got in there. And so they didn't, uh, that, that valley had gone strictly against him. I don't know who they was for. They was, they was for some other man for governor. But anyway, old Daniel was not their man. But Coke got in as lieutenant governor, and the valley boys did like Coke, and they wanted him to be the next governor, and they wanted to get rid of old Daniel because uh, no politician could get in old Daniel's office. And so Lennon was running against old Daniel's. And so um, he came, Lennon came over to Austin, and he managed to get into our office somehow or another, and he knew what our connection was in the valley was, and he asked us if we had any way to contact George Parr and see whether or not he had obligated himself in the race for senator. And uh, so we contacted Mr. Norwood immediately, and, and Mr. Norwood put in a call to George. And uh, George told Mr. Norwood that no, that he hadn't promised his support to either O'Daniels or to Lyndon yet, but that he wanted Coke Stevenson to be made governor, and he is inclined to to give uh, O'Daniels the vote so that he could get rid of him as governor and, and put Coke in as governor. And so uh, Lennon asked Mr. Norwood then to see if he wouldn't give him half of them. And he said, yeah, I'll give you half of the vote. I, I, it don't make any difference to me. And so we'll let you have half of the vote, and we go, but we're going to give Coke the other half, really meaning he's going to give him to O'Daniels so he'd get, give him to Coke for governor. And so then uh, Lennon was always one to crowd his luck, and he told uh, Mr. Norwood to ask George if, uh, if he wouldn't... Uh, uh, do this for him, since the, the, uh, all the big dailies were going to be for him against old Daniels, as the Houston Post and Chronicle and the Dallas News and San Antonio Express had all obligated themselves to go along with Lennon in this race against old Daniels, and, and that they were going to do all the publicity they could, and he asked George if he wouldn't then send out a news bulletin uh, at noon from the valley, and that area down there stating that Lennon was sweeping South Texas. And the newspapers then, he'd arranged for that, all be printed in the headlines, in the early part of the evening, and then he might get some bandwagon votes in the big cities. Well, George said, all right, you'll get your vote in the morning, but in the evening, every damn one of you going to be eating. And so if you go back and look into your history, you'll probably see that's exactly what happened. Now then, if you remember rightly, when the election was over on Saturday, uh, Lennon had gotten the big city vote, and he'd gotten uh, a whole lot of other votes, but O'Daniel's strength was always in the, in the little country boxes. And so Lennon went back to Washington, thinking that he had been elected United States Senator. And so uh, the, the other boxes started coming in Monday and Tuesday. And anyway, two or three days uh, during the next week, Lennon found out he was losing. He was going to lose, the and he had lost, because these other votes come in. And uh, uh, Mr. Norwood tells me this. He said that there was a long-distance call came to George Parr from the White House about two or three days after the election, and asking him... Uh, on the other end of the line, the people in the White House, who was Lennon, but he's calling from the White House. And, of course, Mr. Roosevelt was president at that time. And all the long-distance operators from, from Corpus Christi on out to San Diego were listening in on it. They were messaging girls, and they wanted to know what the White House had to do with Mr. Parr. And they heard the conversation. And that's where they told us that he was asked if he couldn't 
go ahead and, and uh, change enough votes down there to, to elect Lennon. And George just told him, he said, no, I've been indicted, and I'm allowed to go to penitentiary now, and I'm not going to steal an election and go to penitentiary for you. I gave you what I, I told you I'd give you, and you're not going to get any more. And it so happened in that election, Lennon was not elected. But if you don't like who's in there, vote them out. And if you don't like who's in there, vote them out.